Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Friday, Friday, Friday. It's a June 20th, 2014. This is episode 1372 of the Survival Podcast. And um, it's not the typical Friday, Friday, Friday. There'll be no uh, typical... Uh, housekeeping section today, uh, no advertising, new history segments, sorry Alex, I'm sure 1372 was a great year, if it's cool enough, maybe on Monday I'll do two segments and get it in there, um, but today's a special day, and we're doing a different kind of show, it's going to be a Jack Chat show, this is uh, episode 1372, but the more important number is 620, June 20th, 2014. You see, on June 20th, 2008, I got into that little Jetta diesel TDI and uh, turned on a crappy, I mean crappy recorder. It was actually a video camera, a little video camera that I think I finally just threw the hell away. I should have auctioned that thing for charity or something. I, I think I got rid of that thing because um, it just was a piece of junk, but it was a little video camera. And uh, I bought it for playing around with doing video. This is before every phone did video, remember? I, I had a BlackBerry. The video on that was crap. So I got this little phone, and it had a variety of settings. And one was that it would actually just do MP3 recordings. I sat that thing in my lap. I did the first episode of the Survival Podcast. And if you ever feel like it and you have 12 minutes to kill, you can go back and listen to it. And I think you'll find that even though things have changed a lot, that that first show, as crappy as the audio was, as unprepared as I was to do it, laid out the vision that is Survival Podcast. And um, the first few weeks were interesting. I had this weird little bit of bumper music we had used in another promotional thing that we had already paid for, so I put it on there and it was like... Nah, 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 nah. It was like this weird music. and um, But I already had this vision for what the show would be. And I have it head in my notes of Bob Moss, Another Day, Another Dollar, uh, which was a song that I eventually, I'm like, this, this now song doesn't really work for what we're doing here. And I, like, you know, where can I find some music? So I looked into this stuff called Podsafe Audio, and there was all these websites that had all this music on it that was called Podsafe Audio, meaning the artist had said, my music may be used on podcasts. You may use a piece of it. You may use the whole thing. You can put together music shows. You can do whatever you want. As long as, you know, it's it's not changed and altered to some way that, you know, doesn't make it what it was anymore. And I went through tons of songs, and I found this song that I'm about to play for you now. And I almost started the show with it, and I thought, man, people are going to think their things are going to be, their their show's messed up or something, especially with the error I made recently. And they're going to be like, the, the, you know, what's wrong, and maybe they won't listen to this episode. So I decided to go ahead and start the show with the typical bumper music. But now I want to play the entire song for you now. Uh, most of you have probably never heard the entire song by Bob Moss, Another Day, Another Dollar. I only played maybe 25 seconds of it as bumper music to introduce the show. I want to play it for you now, and I'm tempted to start talking about it, but I'm not going to. 
I don't think most people know why I chose this song. But let's go ahead and listen to it together. And uh, listen to the words. And then I'll come back and I will, I will explain to you why this song was chosen. Because when you hear the whole song, you're going to think to yourself, that doesn't really feel like TSP. My friends, it was. And it is. Here we go. Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler, it really doesn't matter because it all gets spent. Just this morning Standing in that unemployment line The line was long The boy, he was worried He wouldn't make it back to work on time He had to make it back to work
So if you really listen to that song, it's a song of desperation and despair. It's a song of no hope. And I guess if someone looked at the distance and thought of survivalism and survivalists, they would say, well, that sounds like you know the doom and gloom craft that a survivalist would, would be all about. But CTSP has never been about gloom and doom. Those of you who have been with me for any length of time know that that's not what we do here. We talk about preparedness because things go wrong, but we also talk about lifestyle planning, how to build a better life. There's a better way to do this, right? You make your own way and the others will follow. That's what came next eventually. Um, I chose this song because it was this mentality, this poverty consciousness, this weak consciousness explained in this song that was exactly the trap that I knew the majority of Americans had fallen into and I wanted to help you get out of it. I wanted to change the thinking of the few that would listen to me. I figured a few thousand people would listen and maybe I could build a little side business off of it or maybe even it would become full time but it would be a meager business. You know, I, I didn't ever see the day and I, I, I checked our stats uh, for last week and our best day Last week, we had 114,000 downloads. Not 114,000 hits. The audio files were downloaded by 114,000 users in one day last week. Um, puts a tax on that 100 terabyte server. <laughs> But to be fair to them, they've done a pretty good job of keeping up with us. Um, we're actually at a point now where we're add, adding a second box for some redundancies and things. Um, that I didn't, didn't really expect. And, you know, I'm not naive enough to think that everybody that listens is going to really take the message to heart. Um, but I know it's more than 10% just by the basic feedback I get to take the message to heart. And when you get up to that number, that's 14,000 Americans that have said the hell with this. I'm living a better life. Come hell or high water, I'm going to make a better life for myself. And, and that's a huge, huge blessing. And that's what TSP has become. And as I started to see, it was about two months in that I said, you know what? You're thinking too small, dude. You got it. You got it. Like you've built businesses. You've got something magical here. The people that are, are, are coalescing around this, you know, it was by the, the second to two and a half months that I had like people like showing up on the blog on this blog's cool and all, but we, we, we want a forum. And I'm like, I don't want to run a forum. I'm like, no, no, no. You're going to give us a forum. You're going to do this now and you're going to give, we'll, we'll, we'll help, but you're going to give us, there was no questioning. It was not, can we please have a forum, Jack? It was, you will do this. And the, the moderator team that's still there today, by and large, most of them coalesced around that back, way back then. That was still 2008, and that forum built. And I had been working with people for a long time in, in, in social media and marketing and trying to help them understand how to create that type of a community tribe effect around a brand, around an idea, around a vision. And the truth is that most of the larger companies that were paying us for our consulting were too narrow-minded and too small-minded to see what could be done when someone said, I'm not going to stick with convention, I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to speak my mind. And they were afraid of it. They were afraid to do it. And I realized, well, you're doing it, and it works just like you said it did, so let's grab this thing and make it happen. And... We went into a plan together. I had a couple hundred of you guys listening at this point. I said, you know what? 
I think we can get to a thousand listeners, just one thousand listeners by the end of the year. If we do that, everybody that enters a little thing in a form that promises to tell somebody, anybody, in any way about the show, um, will be in a drawing, and I'll pick a person out of that drawing, and I will send them a, a custom iPod Nano engraved on the back with the inscription "Be an ant, not a grasshopper." I do not remember the name of the person that won that, but they were pretty excited about it. And I did. I ordered it right from the Apple Store with that inscription on the back of it. And that was because in the early days, the story of the ant and the grasshopper became the way that we were reaching people with the understanding of being prepared. And I think it would be ill-fitting on an anniversary so show if I didn't tell the story, the real story of the ant and the grasshopper, not the Disney versions and multiple new versions of it. The story of the ant and, gra and grasshopper is pretty short and pretty simple. The grasshopper played, frolicked all day long in the field and uh, ate his grass and went on about his business and farted around and the ants worked hard and the grasshopper mocked the ants and said, why do you work so hard? And the ants told the grasshopper because grasshopper one day winter will come. Winter always comes and you will freeze and you will die if you don't prepare. And the grasshopper mocked at the ants and the ants continued their, their work And as fall turned into winter, and it became colder and colder, and food became more and more scarce, and the first snow fell, the ants went into their mound and closed up their door, and the grasshopper died. The grasshopper didn't knock on the door and get taken in and fed soup, right? The grasshopper died. That's the true story. That was a story I grew up hearing from my grandfather. And the ant became iconic with TSP. I didn't set out to make the ant iconic with TSP. I set out to make TSP something that would help people. And the ant became iconic to TSP. And as that happened, as I began to develop a formula and figure out what you guys wanted and take feedback and make the show better and push the envelope a little bit of what could be done in a car to start doing question and answer shows in a car. This was difficult. I couldn't have shows like I do on Fridays now where people call in. It was impossible. I didn't have time. I was working 70 to 80 hours a week at my company okay, that I was an owner in when I was doing this. And all I could do was get up early in the mornings, and I would get up some mornings, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, and prepare an outline type it into the blog, write out the little bullet points I needed on one 5x7 note card, put that in the console of my car, use that to do the show, get into my office. When I got, when I get to my office in the mornings, I'd have some time to myself before I had to deal with everybody. And all I would do was throw the music on the front and the back of the, uh, of the audio, upload it, drop it into the thing in the blog, and hit publish and go on about my day for the rest of the day. That's how I did the show. For over two years. And as we went into the first winter and we're coming out of it, we had a couple thousand people listening to the show. I had a point where people started to approach me about being sponsors. I brought our first sponsor on, Safe Castle Royal. They've been with us since January of 2009. And shortly after that, I realized that if I was going to do this, that just doing it with banners and sponsorships wasn't really the way to do it. And I, I, I cut a deal with, with Vic Rontala, who is the owner of Safe Castle, about giving away his discount membership as part of a discount program that I would set up. 
for my private members. And a, a couple other things I was able to gather together when the MSB was very small. And then in February of 2009, over six months after I started the show, I had yet to take a dime out of the show. And I went forward and said, hey, guys, this is this program I'm launching. There's not a lot there now. But if you'll step up and join my program, I'll keep working, and I need members so that I can get more discounts. And as the momentum went forward with that, all of a sudden I started to get really catch some momentum. Details Magazine did a feature on me. The Fort Worth Star-Telegram did a feature on me. That got syndicated into the Houston Chronicle, the Chicago Tribune, uh, New York Post. Uh, people started to show up. I got on uh, with the help of the audience. I got on Judge Napolitano's show on Fox News. And the sponsors started to show up. And then we built the sponsorship to the point where I sold out the sponsorships. The sponsors, some of them were funneled into the MSB as discounters, the, the support brigade. And then I said, okay, fine. When somebody came to me and said, I want to buy advertising, I have none, but can I show you this? And I went out and I recruited. Now we've got 40 companies doing discounts for you guys in the MSB. And the MSB is honestly my source of income now. It's how I pay the bills. And I built that program so that it would pay back the members more than it cost them. Some members would choose just to support the show, but it was there. And I could in good conscience say, if you spend your money with me, if you'll use what I'm giving you, and if you're buying stuff in this industry, you'll get your money back. And I felt good about that. It was a win-win situation. And because of that, about two and a half years... After that first 12-minute podcast, I was able to tell my partners in my other companies, guys, I'm turning it all over to you. Basically, you can buy out my equity for a dollar. I'll still consult with you. I'll still help you. Whenever you need anything, call me, and I will tell you what I think you should do. But I've got to go do this now. And they thought I was crazy. They thought I was crazy. And, and I'll make no apologies for telling you that at this point, TSP is a solid six-figure income for myself and my wife. I'll make no apologies for that. Um, I'm not going to be a millionaire off of this thing or anything, but we've built a solid business because of you guys and because we believe we could do it. And, and that proves that America wants this message. And over the time, we had some really big moments. One was the launch of the MSB. The other was the revolution is you. Greg Yost came to me and said, hey, what if I wrote a song for the show? And we talked about it, and we, we dinked around with it together, and we co-wrote The Revolution Is You. And it's far more fitting with what we're doing. And we, we launched a, a little video that showed photos of hundreds of people all over America that had started to change their life. We had anniversary shows. Show number 500 was, was, was crazy. The number of people that called in and said, this is how this has changed my life. Um, was just unbelievable. And then 500 episodes later, we did episode 1000, which is, you know, what, six, seven, 372 episodes ago? Um, we had really matured at that point, and I thought, wouldn't it be great on our 1000th episode to do what we did before and to have people call in and talk about what TSP did in their lives? So I thought, well, we might get a lot of people calling in on this one. So I, I set up a special number just for people to call in. Uh, and I set the thing so at two minutes it would cut you off. So people only got two. or I gave three minutes. I gave three minutes for people to talk on, on that message. My 800 number uh, bill was pretty big that month. And when I pieced the show together, I was totally unprepared for the results. The show 
which had about two minutes of me talking at the beginning and about two minutes of me talking at the ending, ended up being four hours and 54 minutes long, I believe, four hours, 54 minutes and three seconds of listeners saying, this is what I've done because TSP is part of my life. And I have to tell you, I don't think there's many things out there like TSP today. And that's not about me. That is a reflection of the community and the audience. And and because of all this, again, I was able to walk away from corporate America in only two and a half years. And I probably could have done it faster. The, the truth is that it would have been about two years or less that my primary partner, Neil Franklin, pretty much continuously talked me out of leaving. I need you to do, can you do this before you go? Can you do that before? I did a, a, a stint as a COO uh, for one of his companies uh, to, to get some things fixed that were just not running right, um, to put accountability in place and to sharpen up recruiting and, and, and forecasting and things like that. And it's like, and then there'd be, you know, can you do this before you go? And finally I said, okay, look, at the end of this year, I'm done. And uh, I stayed that extra time, I'd say almost a year, almost that full year. I was probably ready to walk by March of, uh, of 2009. I, I really was at a point where I knew we could make this fly. I had enough peripheral income And I was ready to just come on and charge hard for you. But Neil was a guy that was always good to me and always kept his word to me. And when a friend asks you to help them in those situations and you can help them, you should. And he had, he had done well by me and paid me well for a while. I mean, I had earned my money, but I mean, really had given me great opportunities. So I stayed that extra time because I stand by my friends and you'll hear more about that as we move on today. Uh, and the need to do that sometimes. But when I finally did walk away, years before I started the show, we were already thinking about some of the things that could go wrong in the world, and our big fear at the time, because I don't think we were anywhere near as empowered back then as we were by the time I started the show, let alone where we are at now in our lives, was if everything goes wrong, the cities are going to be a bad place to be. So we had bought this place up in Arkansas um, really inexpensively. Our house payment there was less than most people's car payment, and... As my son graduated high school and got to a point where we're like, okay, kid, you know what? This failure launch ain't happened with you. You're getting your butt launched right out the door. We'll help you, but you're going. And uh, we, we kind of looked around, and, and, and Dorothy really didn't need to work anymore at that point. And I needed someone to help me with the administrative stuff in the business, and she was you know, plenty qualified to do that. And so she was going to quit working. We're like, well, why are we paying for this expensive house here in the middle of the city that we don't really want, we can't really do what we love here, when we have this great place in Arkansas, let's, let's move there. So we did. And we spent a little over a year and a half there. And um, in that time, it became evident that it was just too far away for her to live from her family. And I loved it, but I loved my wife more. So I told her, you know what, as long as we can find the right place, let's, let's go back. And we found the place that we are now, and we moved back. That was a big event, and there were people in the audience that almost felt, and I don't think rightly so, cheated that we didn't stay in Arkansas because we had talked so much about going before we went. And it was like, you know, we have to. I've been telling you to do the right things in your life for so long that you should expect that I would do the same. And we came here, and it was such an opportunity to do things 
with you guys and to do things to show you guys how to build your own lives that we really didn't have in Arkansas. And we realize that when it comes down to it, we're Texans, that we love it here. We don't love everything about our state, and we don't love everything about our state's government, but when it comes down to it, we love being Texans. And and this is our home, and this is where we're going to make our stand. And we've done that here. And it's it's pretty amazing what happened since we got back. We got here, and I have only three acres, but it's all usable. And there's a lot of places where people can camp. And we have these two wonderful steel frame outbuildings. And we have all of this potential with this land, even though it's a tough environment. And we said, why don't we do some workshops? So we ran our first workshop last year in May. And since then, we've run five total. And it's a whole community into itself. The people that have been here to these events, we have our own email list. There's actually a Flickr uh, website. It's just pictures of what's going on here. There's a whole YouTube channel with hundreds and hundreds of videos that have been uploaded. The people that have been to these workshops have a kindred spirit with each other, especially the one they've met each other, but even people that have both been to a workshop but yet haven't been to the same one still have a link through the email list. And it's a whole additional sub-community within the community. And some amazing, amazing things have happened around these workshops. The last one we did, the food forest planting workshop, ended up being a food forest planting workshop, a plant propagation workshop, a beekeeping workshop, uh, a predatory uh, falcon, you know, how falconry works workshop, and, and 20 other things that coalesced around it. Barter blankets, wonderful food, wonderful people. We did beer and wine tastings. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. And every one of them has been that way, but the last one, I think just my body count, which was honestly too high, um, and it stressed myself and it stressed my wife, but we, we, we went high because we knew how much demand there was for it, and we knew that that particular installation would only ever happen once. So we, we took 32 plus two people who had one free seat, so 34 students, a staff of six, uh, plus myself and Dorothy. That was the capacity land, but I could have never done that in Arkansas. I wouldn't have had any place to put all of you guys. We had this steep road and five acres of steep wooded land, and I could maybe park 10, 15 cars there if I was lucky. Um, we would have had no place to put you. You'd have been sleeping in the woods in the, on a steep terrain on rocks. And, and here we had the ability to have people that said, you know what, I want to come to this thing. I want a hotel room. Fine, 10 minutes away, group rate down there. There you go. So we, we ended up with this incredible opportunity not just for our own lives, but to extend our teaching because we followed our instincts and we did what we knew was right. And the one thing I've tried to teach this audience for six years now is that do what you know is right. Because I do believe that most people that are not psychopaths have a pretty good moral compass in, in, in themselves and they may choose to do something you wouldn't do or I wouldn't do or I may choose to do something or act in a way that you wouldn't act. But in the end... Your internal moral compass, if you're not a psychopath, revolves around harm no one. Harm no one and do what is right for yourself. And I think that is a big part of why this show has been successful. It's part of why I don't feel that I'm really susceptible to a lot of, you know, kind of malicious attacks from the, the ass clowns out there. Because if they tell you something, well, did you know Jack so-and-so, so-and-so? Oh, yeah, he says that all the time. I've been myself, and that's the other thing that I've tried to convey is to be yourself, uh, to be human, 
Because I don't think most people in America today are not behaving like human beings anymore. They're, they're behaving like a combination of animal and machine mashed together rather than human beings following their hearts, their souls, and their passions. And I found a lot of people along the way, and I can't talk about everyone that's been an influence to me or that I've been able to help uh, that's been a big thing, but one person that I met was a gentleman named Patrick Rohrman who, uh, who, who contacted me one day and said, hey, I'll make you a knife out of this mammoth tusk stuff that you're always talking about if you'll wear my knife and tell people to buy knives for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we came to a deal basically where I bought the mammoth tusk, and then he did everything else, and I gave him a couple years of MSB. And along the way, he made some more knives for me, and I just found that this guy was someone trying to do what I was talking about and was so close, it just needed that one thing to push him over the edge. Um, he was working as a lineman, uh, traveling and spending a lot of time away from his family, but making good money doing it, and his family's quite large. Um, Patrick is productive when it comes to creating children. I'll just leave it at that. Very large family, wonderful kids. Uh, they came and all spent time at our home at one point uh, in Arkansas. We had, I think, six or seven of his kids plus him and his wife in our place in Arkansas. And I just came to really genuinely appreciate Patrick and Emily Rorman and their family as people that wanted something more. And I thought, how can I help them do it? And we came up with the MT Knives Founders Program, and that was amazing. You know, we woke up one Saturday morning, we said, okay, here it is, let's do it. Six minutes, 100 founders knives sold. And Patrick went from full-time lineman to full-time custom knife maker in six minutes. And, and that has been amazing. And he's got somebody, he's got an employee now, and they're, they're coming up with new programs and new designs. And, and I've heard from people like, like Ivan at Ivanco, uh, who builds custom AR-15s, who built one for me that is just a gorgeous gun that, that's, that's left behind the, the world of warfare and come into the world of, of manufacturing these beautiful firearms for civilians. Uh, and, and Russ, I'm sure you're listening to this show from Houston, who's also walked away from contracting, uh, that's setting up his own security firm here in, in, in the States. And, and, and person after person building businesses. And... I, you know, when I see that, if you're planning a garden or building a business, I feel just as good about it because you're taking an action and doing something. And, and, and that's the biggest thing. And when I knew this was special, was early on, was when people were emailing me and saying, because of you, I did. And, and, and when I would meet people, they'd say, oh, we're doing this now because you said so. And I'm like, holy crap. And I was like, this is awesome. And boy, I better be careful about what I say. You know? Um, but one of the things that I want to just rewind all the way back to 2008 for a minute before we go forward, um, that really I was so grateful that even though there was a small audience, so many high percentage listened. In 2008, one of the reasons I started this is I saw the landslide, just destruction of the economy of 2008 and 2009 coming like a freight train. There was no doubt in my mind what was going to happen. Um, no doubt at all. Down to the floor and back up. But it was going to go really down, really hard. And when you thought it wasn't done going, it was done going down, it was going to go down some more like that, like that catfish when you think you've got him beaten. He takes those last couple dives down and goes real deep and, and goes into the rocks. I mean, I knew what was going to happen. And I started screaming, get your money out of the stock market. Get your money out of the stock market. I got emails from people telling me that they had tears of gratitude 
when they watched the market get slaughtered and they weren't in it. I had one guy email me and said that he just wouldn't let go with his father. His dad was saying, you know, my financial advisor says it's all okay, we should be buying more and blah, and he had just retired. And he said, Dad, just just shelter it for a few months. You're not going to lose anything if you do that. And it basically saved his father's retirement. These are the things that TSP is about. Building your future and protecting what you've worked for. And building businesses in spite of the, the, the problems around us. The problems are such that we can no longer dwell on them and we have to start working on the future. And, and that led to permaethos, which just happened. If you're new to TSP and you see this permaethos thing and you're like, wow, well, is this really, I, I think that if you haven't been around for a while, you don't really understand what led to that. The years of me telling people there was a better way to do things in the way that we feed ourselves and people saying it can't be done, it's not possible, and finally me saying, no, the hell with this, we're going to do it. And then, you know, we capitalized $400,000 toward the building of Permaethos in two waves of PDC sales. And, and the bulk of it was done in the first two hours and 47 minutes and we sold out a 1,000 founders positions. And, and that's not my money, and it's not Joe's money, uh, Josiah, who's the, my, one of my other partners in it, and it's not Kevin and Charlie's money, it's not Nick Ferguson's money, it's Permaethos's money that's going to be used to build more Permaethos farms, to develop people and teach people and train people and give people a small salary in many places until they can build up their own revenue streams to be partners with Permaethos and have their own business units on our farms. That was, that was the culmination of about six years worth of work. And the day that happened, I, 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 I was speechless. I thought we might sell out within that week. I never expected what happened. You know, we were watching the orders come in and going, oh my God, what have we done? And I just gave an interview to Diego Footer with Permaculture Voices podcast that will air Tuesday. And as I was describing what we're doing to him, I was still realizing just now how big this is what we're going to do, how we're going to shake the establishment, not through picketing, not through pushing for legislation, through action, through doing things in such a way that no one can say it doesn't work because there it is. Well, it only works there. Well, it's over here too, and it's over there, and it's over there, and it's over there, and here's our open source book that tells you everything we're doing and how we're doing it, so therefore you can't say it doesn't work anymore because here it is. And, and, and taking... Because there are going to be thousands, there are millions of people looking for work in the next 10 to 15 years. Jobs are being eliminated. We can only put so many people on the dole. And most people don't want to be there. They want to be meaningful. They want to do something. And permaethos is just one thing that we're going to do that's going to give people something to do productive. Where they can be a success. Where they can learn. Because I'm not done yet. I'll hold on that for a little bit. Because I do want to talk about a few tough times that, that we've been through and how I think they've helped define who we really are. One, I've said very little about since it all ended, and that was the Mulligan Mint debacle. Mulligan Mint started this way. Rob Gray came to me, a good friend. He's still a friend. 
And he said, look, I have this mint. I can mint silver with your stuff on it. And, you know, basically for every X amount you sell, you'll get one, one ounce of silver. And I went, okay, let's do it. So we came up with the first design, the ant design. And then along the way, we came up with the Sentinel. And the story of the Sentinel is still one of the highlights of TSP. Always will be. Every citizen a Sentinel. Not every citizen can be a soldier. It's a nice thought. But not every citizen can be a soldier, but a sentinel is one who stands watch. And we can all stand watch for our liberty. And we built that coin and the story behind it, and we were really making things happen. And in a, 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 a part of that world that had nothing to do with us and nothing to do with me, and an argument between Rob and another partner who he was working with launched a slander campaign that destroyed Rob's business. It was an absolute slander campaign, and I will not even dignify the individual that did it by using his name. But if you know who he is, and you know who is, you know what his website address is, and you know what Alexa is, you can take a look at that, and you can see that karma is real, and karma's a bitch. But he did successfully, absolutely successfully destroy Rob Gray, and therefore destroyed Mulligan Men. And most of the people in my audience, not all, but most of the people in my audience that had any kind of silver on order got their silver. A couple people that went in as investors with Rob, I don't know how things worked out for them in the bankruptcy. I've not heard from anybody good, bad, or indifferent about their final ruling from the bankruptcy. Most of the people that ordered silver got their silver. And eventually, with the men in receivership, there was this glut of people that got their silver at the end. I've never explained how that's happened. I will now because I never felt I needed to justify myself. I figured people would know I just do the right thing. I told the receiver in the bankruptcy, the, 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 the guy that was uh, in charge of, of running the bankruptcy, I wanted nothing until my customers were taken care of. And Mulligan Mint left this earth owing me over $20,000 worth of silver, which I took nothing of. And I would have never gotten that much, but I would have probably gotten half of it in the liquidation. I took nothing. And then there were people that said they still didn't get their stuff, and, and, and those I could, I helped. I, some people I sent my own silver to. Um, I did get a, an email or two, probably two emails from people that were along the lines of, you know, basically the opening line was F you. Um, without the F, with a full word, because they lost out, and my response was, well, F off. I'm not going to help you if you're going to come to me that way. Uh, there's nothing I can do at this point, but I might have done something, but since that's that's how you come to me, and there was two people that fit that description. You know who you are? Man, all it takes is an apology. But I've been asked over the over the you know few months since, or so, you know almost a year since now, that, that that all ended, like, well, you know, what would you have done different? Well... Some people aren't going to like this. Um, if I knew everything I know now, the day that Rob came to me and said, let's do this together, I would have said no. But once I committed and said yes, and I partnered with Rob, and I gave him my word, and I made my agreement, and he kept his commitments to me. Because let me tell you, when you say, well, you didn't pay you your commissions. Oh, no, let's talk about that for a second, too. Let's talk about that for a second. So about August of, of, of that year, Rob said, okay, I, we owe you money. We owe you silver, let's get this paid. And I said, no, you're having troubles because of all this stuff. Use my silver to fill my customers' orders. 
Okay. Then right before he was going to file, he's like, well, if we don't pay you some of what we owe now, it's all going to get wrapped up. And I said, keep it. Keep it and fill the orders. And when the trustee took over, he said, well, it's too bad you didn't do that. And I said, fill the orders. I don't care. So in staying the course, I also stood the course for people that had spent their money on my recommendation. But I also stayed because Rob kept his word to me. Always has, always has, always had. My friendship with Rob goes back now almost to full six years, almost to the beginning of TSV. And if Rob figures out how to get his life back together and wants to work with me again, you bet your ass I'll do it because I trust him. I think he made some bad decisions, but I bet you he's learned from them. But the, the only thing that people that think I should have done something different have to actually say in the end is, well, you should have just basically turned your back on Rob. And people that think that it would be okay for me to turn my back on a person who I gave my word to, uh, pretty much I just wrote this up in a forum post, you can jump ass first into a cactus. That's, that's how I feel about it. You can jump ass first into a cactus before I'm going to turn my back on somebody I've given my word to. So while I think Mulligan Mint was one of our rough, tough times, I do think it showed one thing to this audience. My word is my bond, and I will keep it. Um, there's some other tough times, though. Um, the one that springs to mind the most for me is losing four friends, two, two men and two dogs. Um, over the years of doing TSP, I had to, uh, to put down... Uh, my buddy Lakota, who was my Siberian Husky that I dearly loved. But that made room for, you know, Max. And then Blackie, our lab mix, you know, we took him to a vet in Arkansas, and the vet in Arkansas diagnosed him with bladder cancer and gave him, well, about a month to live. He said, we were, you know, about a month away from Halloween, and he said he, he probably won't see Halloween. He said, you know, but if everything goes right, maybe we'll all have Thanksgiving dinner together. Uh, a year later, when Blackie walked in with his tail wagging to be boarded so we could leave for a while, he just shook his head and said, Dog, doctors don't know everything. But shortly after we came here, That, that road was over and we had to lay him to rest. And I don't know. I think some people see dogs as family and some people don't. And I, don't, I, I think those that don't and have never experienced that don't understand what it's really like to lose someone that's been that big a part of your life. Lakota was my buddy. Blackie helped raise my son. And I'll always miss both of them. The nice thing is Blackie's right here. He's on our property. He, he made it long enough to be here. But there were, there were bigger losses because a dog is still a dog. Um, I lost two other friends. Another one that I had to stand through a tough time with, Ron Hood. Um, Ron Hood found himself in a position where people that he had helped a great deal in their lives over ego turned their back on him. I stood by my friend Ron through that, and I got pressured not to, and I had the same response to that that I did to the Mulligan Mint thing and Rob Gray, asked first into a cactus. Um, and then Ron was diagnosed with cancer, which he's pretty convinced, and, and is probably right, that his exposure to Agent Orange in Vietnam is why he contracted that cancer. It didn't look good, but it did look you know, possible that he'd get through it, and he did. 
He got through it. His prognosis was good. And one night laying in bed next to his wife, Karen, he died of a heart attack. In his, in his early 60s, or mid-60s, far too young. Far too young for such a great man. Ron was a guy that the day I met him, we kind of looked at each other and thought, this is a brother that I've never known. Even though he's old enough to be my father, and he'd get pissy when I'd tell him that. I'm your brother, not your father. Um, I'm exactly like, dude, you're older than my dad, okay? <laughs> so, But, uh, God, he was an amazing guy. And we only ever actually spent time face-to-face -face twice, but we talked to each other almost daily by email and, and probably bi-weekly, either by phone or Skype or something like that, just because we understood each other and we had the same philosophy. See, when I started TSP, I felt like, You know, I had been part of like a lot of forums, frugal squirrels, backwoods home, all kinds of stuff that were, you know, in the firearms and preparedness world. And I quit. The day I started TSP, I quit doing hardly anything with those. Um, and where the little bit I was still doing when, when I launched the forum, because you guys told me I had to, I totally quit that. I never wanted to look like I was, I was building my business off the backs of what other people had already done. And and Ron ran into so many people that tried to do that. They tried to extract the equity from his social capital that when he met me and understood that's what I was about, and I understood that's what he was about, and he's like, yeah, well, maybe we could do something or whatever. And I'm like, well, I've had your forum linked uh, to from my site for like six months now. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. He goes, do you have a forum? I'm like, yeah, but your forum's awesome. So I put a, like, he just had never really experienced that. And we, we formed this kindredship. And when I do the barter blankets at the TSP events, I always tell Ron's story. And Ron was the guy that introduced me to that. I'm not sure. I know he's not the guy that created it, but he's the guy that taught me about it. And I keep a bottle. Oh, it's awful. Awful, awful, awful. <laughs> That blue sapphire gin, the man loved it. I keep a bottle of that here, and when we talk about him or meet people that knew him or knew of him, we'll share a nip off that horrible Windex-looking gin just in his memory. We usually pass it around after the barter blanket just in his memory. Losing Ron was not easy. I lost another friend. I did an episode um, talking about the lessons I learned from Hal Dodd. Hal was a fishing guide locally. And, um, you know, this was a guy that I hired one day to take my son and I fishing in the Learn Joe Pool Lake. And, uh, you know, a week later I got a call from, hey, man, I'm just going out. You want to come hang out and fish? Yeah, sure. And uh, we became great friends. We only lived about 10 minutes from each other. And we had a multi-year, very, very close kindred brotherhood-style friendship. And uh, I moved to Arkansas, and we didn't talk as much anymore. And I just happened to be in Texas because um, we were living in Arkansas at the time and I was at on the border um, in uh, sitting in uh, at the bar talking to my son where he tends bar and I got a text from Hal's wife uh, Joe and it said would you consider speaking at Hal's memorial on Saturday And I hadn't even heard that anything had happened to him. And that question can only mean one thing. And so uh, that was a weird way to find out that a person you cared that much about was gone. 
And uh, I went, you know, and did speak at his memorial, and I did a show talking about the lessons that I learned from Hal. And uh, I, I shared all of these things on the air. And I think that tells you that this is my family. You guys are my family. Most people won't share those types of, of things uh, in the public space that do what I do, but I'm not most people. And those hard times are as much a part of what's formed TSP as anything else. The other hard thing for me has been this continual erosion of liberty that I've seen during the time that we're, we've been doing this together. I've watched the public school systems go from bad to worse. I've watched government tyranny go from bad to worse. I've watched people have front yard gardens ripped out. I watched an old lady with bone cancer um, attacked by a city that she loved that she would have defended. And the nice thing was we were there for her. We uh, That lady wasn't going to live. She was she was having yard sales, this lady, Julie Bass. Not Julie Bass. What was her name now? I don't remember. Julie Bass was a lady with a front yard garden. But it was this lady who um, was in Salem, Oregon. And she started selling all the stuff she had, these little yard sales in her backyard, just so that she could have enough money to basically be comfortable while she died. There was no hope that she was going to survive this this cancer. And uh, I said, you know what, instead of fighting this, let's just, uh, let's number one, let's call the city of Salem and tell them they're a bunch of idiots so they know. And then let's turn around and let's just, let's just fix this problem for this lady. And we raised over uh, $30,000 out of this audience. Um, we outraised Glenn Beck, The Blaze, and everybody else put together and we were only half of what we are today at the time for that lady. But just seeing that happen, like, how, how does this happen? And seeing today this little kid that had, a, like, a, a free library, take a book, leave a book thing in his front yard, the city shut him down and said it's illegal. And, and, and the, the, what's going on in our schools? And I've had my, my, my big, you know, shows, the passion shows about fighting for our liberty. And it's not the fighting that bothers me. It's the fact that we have to in this country today. The way that liberty has continued to erode, the way that we're lied to, spied on by our own government, and the fact that the people lay down and accept it and don't even give a shit about it. That's, that's that's hard. When you're the guy that's screaming, let's go forward, and everybody else is saying, why? That's hard. But since i got got 100,000 plus of you with me now, it's not so freaking hard anymore, is it? It still hurts to see this once great nation crumbling. Not just economically. That's what the government and the, and the corporatocracy have done. That's a given. We get that. I understand that. But the spirit of this country being so weak in the average person anymore. No one willing to stand up and just do what's right because it's right. And then I realize, stop using words that make you a liar, Jack. And, and that's no one. It's not no one. It's not enough people. But it's sure as hell not no one. Because TSP is only the tip of an iceberg of the remnant of people that have said, hell no to this. We're not accepting this. It's not okay. We're not tolerating it. And we're pretty much done asking your permission to do shit. 
We really are. We're not asking your permission, and we're also throwing away the old thing, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission, because we're not asking for freaking forgiveness either. You ask for forgiveness when you're wrong. We're not wrong to live in liberty, to live in freedom, and to look out for our fellow man. We're not wrong for doing that, so you can very well toss off We're done with your bullshit, and that's what I want to talk about next, where we go from here. I'll tell you, first of all, the accelerator's going to the floor. I'm, I am really only talking about problems here and there, just to remind you that they're still out there screwing shit up. So you don't forget, I am focused on solutions, solutions, solutions. And I know that the solutions are not in the beltway around the freaking Capitol building. They're not even in your state capitals. They're not in your town halls. They're in your backyard, and I expect you to stand up and start implementing them. And I'm going to do it with you. And we're going to inspire thousands of people to do it, and I'm done. I don't have time for this bullshit. I don't have time to apologize to government or to ask for permissions from government at all anymore. We do things within the bounds of the law as best we can. And from that point on, hey, I'm not asking you if I can build a shed. If I need a shed, I'm putting a freaking shed in. I'm not fighting the HOA. I refuse to live where there's an HOA. You're not getting my money. Goodbye. Screw off. I'm only going to bitch so much about public school because my solution is get your kids out of the public schools. One way or another, figure it out. Get them out of there. They do not deserve your child in their desk because that child is nothing but a freaking dollar sign to the people that administrate that school. That's why they're upset when you take them away. And frankly, from what I've seen, the parents that are educating their children at home or doing cooperatives and things like that are doing a better job than the state anyway. So you got a better result and they don't get to indoctrinate your child. Great. We're just getting started. Who knows what we'll figure out to do in the next four years as we head on to 10 years of TSP, a decade. Who knows what we'll figure out to start chipping away at and eroding next. You know, people get upset with me over things like take your children out of the schools and see to their education yourself. Do you know why they get upset with me? <laughs> Not because I say it, because you're freaking doing it. That's why they're upset. They're not upset that I say things. They're upset that people are listening to them and acting on them. And you know what? If one guy that starts out with a little bitty recorder sitting in his lap can get this many people to listen to him and take action and improve their lives, then the reason is only that the message is sound. I'm not that freaking charismatic. Charismatic. I am not that freaking gifted when it comes to selling people on an idea. And frankly, I have to believe what I say to be able to sell you anything. If I don't believe in something, I can't even begin to speak about it with passion. So, pedal to the metal, guys. The show will continue, and I'll do my best to make it better for you every day. I really will. I, I, I will keep working hard. I will keep bringing you more content. Um, I will keep trying to put out more video content. We're going to do a bang-up job on the Permaethos PDC. Nick Ferguson is already figuring out the, the plant propagation thing with Permaethos to, to do that course. We've got a bee design course that Michael Jordan's putting together. We have other ideas. We're already looking at other potential places to maybe do another farm next year. We're going to keep going. And everything that we do that's directly part of TSP or these peripheral things that we're building around TSP, the wiki, the forum, the Zello channel, all of it builds more in the podcast. Um, I may actually start looking for a part-time local intern. Um, Dorothy and I have decided we don't really want to have someone live in our home again. Like, we love Joe. He's like family. But... 
we're at a point in our lives where we kind of like we like our home being just us. We love that. Um, but I do need some help, and it would be nice to be able to like go away for a day or two and then have somebody maybe stay here to look after things. And it would be nice to be mentoring and teaching someone or maybe more than one someone, maybe two, people that would come here a few days a week, and we could be very flexible with that and do some of the land care and some of the business operations. I think there might be an opportunity eventually for someone locally to start working with me as an element partner, not in ethos, but in TSP, I could use a video person that could actually turn the entire video component of TSP into a business in of itself. And if I have someone that can set everything up and all I have to do is present the video and they just do everything, I think we can turn that into a, an entire monetary segment. And then that will also give the audience a lot more. And I'm not talking about selling the videos to people. I'm talking about, I think that we can get enough companies that now, like I turn down doing product reviews daily. I'm like, I don't have time. I think we could get to a point where we're charging for product reviews with no guarantee that we're not going to say your product sucks butt, right? Because, I mean, that's the whole point. The reason people will buy a radio that I say is good is because I went on YouTube with the Cato Voyager and said, this is a piece of shit, don't buy this. And if you watch that old video, you'll see at the end where I just like throw down the accessories and I'm, I'm in complete disgust. I'm like, this is a piece of crap. And I, I don't think that people will value what you do unless you're willing to say, this sucks, this sucks, and that sucks. And even if the company paid you to talk about it, well, you shouldn't have paid me to talk about your product if it sucks. And I actually think that will make more people with good product and good things to reach the, the audience with come to us and say, we know that you're going to like what we're doing. And, I mean, you're just going to have to understand, like, you pay the bill in advance, and the result you get is what you get. But there's tons of stuff that we could be doing things like that with, along with what's going on in the property instead of me running around with my iPhone. Um, but I think that's a dedicated position. I think that's what that person does. And I think it has to be phased in. But I'm willing to work with somebody on that. So I'm interested in any of this local DFW that could get up to the Azel area a few times a week and commit to certain hours that might want to start out kind of as a volunteer, maybe move into a small stipend, and then maybe move into their own uh, revenue model out of this. I'm interested in talking to people about that. Um, I don't know if that'll happen or not, but I, I like mentoring people. I really do, and I feel like it's a responsibility, and that's something I want everybody out there to understand, that if you're gifted at something, I think you should have a student on some level that you're teaching and working with. I get people all the time that want me to do that remotely, and I can't. I can't do it. I have too much work to do. I can't take responsibility for someone else somewhere else unless they're involved in what I'm doing. I really can't. But I think we can we can work together uh, on some local levels. And I think every if everybody out there that, that was blessed in their life with success would have at least one mentor, one person that they mentor, we'd have a much better nation in one generation. Because you can bet that when you do that for someone, as they find success, they're going to be grateful and they're going to go do it too. Um, I really am very excited about my wife and what she's heading towards. She's currently farming mealworms is one thing that she's doing to learn uh, a new skill. Uh, she's starting to play around with plant propagation. We've increased our, our chicken count to about 70, 80 birds total. Uh, when we get done culling roosters out, we'll probably still have about 50 laying hens. She's going to start selling eggs, uh, mealworms to other poultry keepers and to reptile keepers. Uh, she's learning plant propagation. We'll start a small plant business. 
uh, and a lot of other things. And you know, we're blessed. We live out in the out in the unincorporated area. We can set up a little shop out there for her, and we can deal direct to consumer. And we don't need a permit or a license or anything. Um, and that's part of the freedom that we've built, and that I'm encouraging you to you know go to the places you don't have to deal with this crap. Come to Texas. We have lots of places like that. Now we have lots of yuppie hellhole HOA places too. So pick wisely. But come on down here, man. Let's make a stand in a Lone Star State together, or do it wherever you're at. Either way is fine. But so Dorothy's setting up her own business, and you'll hear more about that. She doesn't like cameras, but uh, we'll we'll see if we can change her mind a little bit on that. Um, Perma Ethos is going to take permaculture to the mainstream in a big way. We're in in two years. My hope is that a hundred thousand people in America, if you say the word permaculture to them, will know the word and know what it means because of us. That's it. That's my whole goal. If we can make a hundred thousand people know what the word means that don't know right now, we will have success beyond our wildest dreams. And I think we're shooting low with that number. I really do. I didn't say a hundred thousand customers, just awareness. Uh, we are going to we are going to change the face of what is considered normal in America by bringing normalcy back to America. Because that's all permaculture is, is normal behavior. I mean, there's the purple breathers out there, the eco-hippie freaks, and that's that's not what it's really about. That's not what the the, the founder, Bill Mollison, made it about. It was about understanding systemic thinking. And it, it's, a, it's a system of thinking that can be used to run a business, not just establish a farm. The, and I've done whole things on that. So that's that you'll see more and more from Perma Ethos, but you'll see most of it under the Perma Ethos umbrella, not on TSP. You'll hear mentions of it, like we're doing this now, and you can go over here and learn about it, that type of thing, because TSP needs to stay what it is, the survival podcast. Permaculture is a piece of what we do. It's not what we do. Um, I am thinking about a completely new format for the expert council. Um, I wanted to get an email out to them this week. A lot of things have been going on, like the sales tax that I had to deal with yesterday for Perma Ethos. Oh, my God. Um, I won't get into it, but let me just tell you that I found one thing that sucks about Texas taxes, and that is that we're selling a product that, that the state of Texas considers cable television service because we're delivering high-quality video over the Internet in a streaming format. All right, so it's cable TV. Well, what's the problem with that? With sales tax, I have to charge Texas residents a sales tax, but I have to pay the sales tax to not my local area where they bought from me, but to their local area. So almost every customer has its own individual tax that has to be paid. So I, we spent total, like, probably 20 hours of work to do our first return uh, between myself and Kevin And uh, it was not over the several thousand dollars worth of tax that went to the state of Texas, but about $500 in local taxes, just so that everybody got their 50 cents here and $2 there. It, it was insane. And we're going to have to figure out another way to do that. So um, we're, uh, we were just really got bogged down this week with a lot of extra work, and then I had to do an interview with Permaculture Voices and everything else. So I didn't get to do this, but this is basically what I'm thinking I'm going to do. I'm going to be sending an email to all the members of the expert council that say you're going to get at least one question a month because if no one calls one for you, I'm going to give it to you. And if I don't get an answer to that question or one of the questions from the audience that month, you are off the council. This does not apply to every member of the council. But we're going to have an active expert council for you guys, and that may mean some of the people get cold off. 
Uh, some of the people have not been giving a lot of answers because they haven't gotten many questions, and some of the people haven't been given any answers for I don't know why. But some of those people, and you know who you are, may not be here next month. And they will be replaced because there are plenty of people that want that opportunity. And I feel that we can do more rounded shows if everybody has a question every two weeks, let's say. So at least you're hearing from every council member twice a month. That would be really a great way to balance things out, and it would reduce the number of questions I would answer, which would make my Fridays a little bit easier, and I have an easy way to do that. If I don't get a question for a council member, I'm going to make one up, and I'll just be like, uh, hey, John Pugliano, I have a question for you this week. Uh, we've heard a lot about X, Y, and Z. What do you think about it? Boom. And then he can answer that question. So it'll be like I'm interviewing them with one question each twice a month. So we're going to move into that format, and that'll be really easy for me to do. I'll just record my part for the show and send them a copy of that, and when they send it back, I just marry them together, and in it goes. So I'm going to try to do something to adjust the council for you so that we have active, engaged council members and that you're getting the most out of them. And I also think that then we'll get more questions for these members. I think the reason some of them don't get a lot of questions is because they were on the show once or twice. I realized they were really awesome, but a lot of you guys don't really know them that well, and you don't realize how valuable they are, So, and you're not thinking about it, so you don't really ask the question that would pertain to them. So I'm going to try to increase the value of the council for you with some upgrades, And with more activity, because that's one way I think I can definitely make this show better. I'm also thinking about doing less interviews. Uh, maybe doing one week, two interviews, next week, one interview. One week, two interviews, next week, one interview. Part of what made this show what it was in the early days was me coming on and teaching a subject in depth the way that I do it. And the way we're doing things now, I got a feedback on Monday, I got a feedback on Friday, I got a, a Tuesday show, I do that, and then I got two interviews. And, and that reduces the amount of time we get to spend together in hard, nuts and bolts, educational, entertaining programming. And I, I'm going to try to make that happen a little bit more for you. The interviews we do do, I'm going to try to branch out a little bit and get a little bit creative. I just got a guy, sent his request in, Dorothy's getting with him to ring him on, set up his business. He builds cannons that shoot fish bait. 300 yards attached to a hook into the ocean to catch sharks off the shore. It's an air cannon. It's cool as hell. And it's not just a, 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 like something that I think a lot of you guys, we've done the fishing series, I've gotten great feedback on that, that a lot of you guys might enjoy doing. But it's also an entrepreneur that built a business doing something that's never been done before. That's cool. It's redneck engineering. It's a potato cannon in a sort of kind of way that shoots fish bait through the air. And you start thinking to yourself, well, they're freezing a big old chunk of fish and shooting it out there, but could it be done on a smaller scale? Probably. Bet they're working on that already. You know, or maybe even a longer distance thing, you know. Um, and that's just one example. I want to bring you some fun, quirky stuff that makes you think. Because one of the things I want out of this show is I want you guys to think. I want you to, th I want you to come up with things that, like, don't just try to do what somebody's doing and do it better. Come up with something no one's done before. That's what TSP is. Nobody, nobody's ever done a show like this. There's nothing like TSP. There's some emulation of it now. There's a lot of stuff in the space now. When I started this, there was nothing. There, there, I listened to two survival podcasts. One had two episodes that were over a year old, and the one, the first one, the guy talked about nothing but water. 
uh, for like 25 minutes. It was like, water is very important, and you need to have water. And and the other one was more like a camping podcast that also went nowhere. And and I was like, there's a hole here. Let's 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 build something on this whole concept, and let me take all the things that I've learned about business and preparedness and put them together and finance and economics and, and critical thinking into something that changes the way America thinks. I want you guys to do stuff like that. I want you to come up with completely radical, innovative things and build entire new segments of society off of them. That's what we're all about. And I see that happening. Uh, and, and one of the ways I want to do that is getting people in here to talk to you about things you've never considered before. Um, I also think we'll do fewer TSP workshops. We did five, six total in less than a year's time, right? Because we started the first one in May, and the last one we did was in February or March, one or the other. So it wasn't even a full year's time. We did five workshops or six works, five or six workshops. Uh, we'll probably do like two or three a year. We'll probably do one in early fall this year and maybe one in the spring, maybe one more. I don't know. It depends on what Dorothy's got in her and what we come up with to do. Um, but I am thinking we'll probably do one in like mid to late September on extending the food forest and doing food forest design and planning and, and focus a little bit more on this one because there'll be less physical work to do into getting more into the design components of it and probably capping it at 24. If you want to come to that one, Pay attention because they sell out quick. Um, but we'll do most of our workshops now at Elijah Springs uh, in West Virginia because we can take 100 people up there. And we have a lot more land to work with. We have a lot more cool stuff going on. And I want to push the permaculture workshops anyway into permaethos. And we'll probably do some stuff here that maybe is just, you know, maybe we'll just do the fun and skills one we always talked about this fall too. Where we just get people together and people come and like, You know, every, you know, like you do an hour and somebody presents something and then you have an hour of socializing and then you have an hour of somebody presenting something and it's not just me. It's all different skills. That would be really cool to do here with a couple dozen people. Um, because coming here for those, man, it's as much about being here as it is what you learn. It, it really is. And those who have been here, you know that. Um, I announced last year that I would no longer be doing third-party speaking engagements, that I wasn't even, you know, I love Liberty Forum and I probably wouldn't speak there anymore, that I was going to just basically do my own events and focus on my own thing. Um, I had some issues with um, uh, the the expo world and, and people not keeping their commitments and their words and lying and reusing your content in ways that they did not have your approval for. I'll leave it at that. And it soured me on it. And I also thought, you know, it's a lot of work to travel, It's a lot of work to travel, and I, I, I don't really need to be doing this. I, I, I got into this to avoid that. And then Diego Footer said, well, you do Permaculture Voices 1, and he gave me the list of the people that were speaking there, and it was Joel Salatin and Greg Judy and Jeff Laud. And I'm like, hell, I just want to meet those people, let alone be able to speak at the same place they are. You bet I'll speak there. I went out, I spoke, and Diego hit a grand slam home run. And he just asked me this last yesterday, basically, if I would speak next year, and I said yes. I will probably be speaking at Permaculture Voices every year that Diego wants to have me there. Uh, and it will probably be the only thing I do like that, where I'm out in a third-party event type of thing, because I don't want to do a lot of that. The nice thing is the time that he does it is a good time for me. It's it's that midwinter time where you're not doing a lot of planning and, and, and things like that. So as long as I get somebody to watch my birds, um, be in good shape. 
Um, but the big thing, tell me what you want. That's how we got here. Um, sometimes people ask me to do something and I say no and they think they're not heard. Um, that's, that's a symptom of how sick our country's become. You, when you tell somebody you want them to do something and they tell you no, it doesn't mean they don't respect you or they didn't hear you or they don't care what you want. It just means they've evaluated their own life and thought, I can't give you that. Or it doesn't make sense for me to give you that because you're the only one that wants it and I got 50 people that want this other thing and I have to do one or the other. I hear every request. I just don't do every request. Uh, but yes, man, if you guys want to hear, hear a guest on this show, I'm telling you the way to do it. You contact a guest. You say, look, this place is cool. They'd love to have you on. Here's the guest form. That works better than us rec recruiting people. It's, it, I don't know why, but it does. Um, I want to bring in more MSB vendors for you. If you have a company you buy from and you think they're a good fit, You're their customer. Talk to them. Just tell them, hey, this guy has this awesome thing. You might be interested in it. And if they have any interest, let me know, and I'll get in touch with them, and I'll try to bring them on board as an MSB vendor. Um, I mean, I see MSB, yes, is the way I make money, but if you notice, most of the companies in there are mid to small company, mid-size to small companies. I feel that I help them as much as I help myself when I bring them in because I expose you to them and them to you. I know that we've been a – Mai Tai Coffee is a huge success story. Um, uh, our contact there, Matt, told me that his boss that owns the company has a similar thing he set up years ago, and it was like they're you know, kind of one of their big things that they had for consistent orders, and that when we we brought us on, that we blow them away. And, and you guys are getting a great product, you're getting a great discount, and they're getting business, incremental business, business they want to have. So tell me what you want and bring things to me, and we'll try to make it happen. That's how we got here. At the end of the day, you know what I want to say is thank you. And more than you'll ever know, I all I owe you all everything that we have, myself and Dorothy today. We owe all of you. Um, you guys have been here through everything. And when things got tough, In some of the things I talked about and some other things today, you guys didn't turn away. You didn't walk away. You didn't leave. You stayed. Um, some people left, and God bless them. I mean, not everybody's going to stay. I've you know, stopped listening to certain people or reading certain blogs in my life. But those of you that, that became part of this community, you, you, you've stayed here, and you've grown and developed with it. And you've given back so much. When we left Arkansas, you know, I ran a lifetime membership sale. And because of that, we didn't have to you know, tap savings to put our down payment on our house um and then you guys got a lifetime membership to trust me guys you, you didn't make a bad buy we're not going anywhere um i'll be dead and in the ground when there's no more tsp when there's no more podcasts and and my hope is that i can build over the next few years i can build msb to a point where even if i'm dead and gone that that program keeps going and it pays for itself and you'll want it for what it gives you uh, i want to build it into that kind of thing if the guy that runs triple a dies you don't cancel your membership Um, and that's one of my goals too. But you guys, you guys are my family. And, and I hope over the years where I've shared my personal feelings and sometimes did it in a bad, like I've made mistakes. Uh, I've made technical errors, but I've also made like emotional mistakes at times with you guys. And you know what I've always tried to do? Come out and say, you know what guys, I'm sorry, I screwed up. Um, and that's another example I'm trying to set. You know, I, I, I can't, I just think of all of the celebrities out there that they screw up really bad and they come out with an apology and they say like, I'm, I'm sorry if some people were hurt or offended by what I said. Bullshit. How about I'm sorry I screwed up? Like, like what the hell happened to the America where men and women stood the hell up and said, I'm sorry I screwed up. It's my fault. 
right? I, I promise you guys all, I will screw up in the future. I, I'm promising you right now, I will do something stupid or I will make a mistake in the next year. And when I do it, I will come out and say, I screwed that up, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Okay? And I'll mean it. I won't save it to cover my, say it to cover my ass, I'll say it because it's the right thing to do. And that's because I'm grateful to you. When you're grateful to people and you screw up, you acknowledge your screw up and you apologize. And fortunately, I haven't had to do it a lot in six years, but I've had to do it, again, sometimes just from just a bad judgment. And then sometimes like technical errors, like recently I screwed up. I spliced the two wrong shows together and put out an episode and half of it was a rerun. I, I, I screwed that up and I came and I fixed it and I said, I'm sorry, I messed it up. You know, why can't, why can't the people in government do this? Instead of hiding it, covering it, and then blaming somebody else, and when they finally accept responsibility, not actually accepting responsibility, you know, it's like, Tim made me do it or something. I mean, come on. Be adults. Be adults, America. And thank you all. Thank you all for six years. And uh, that means we've come over the hump of the first decade of TSP. And as long as there's breath in me, and as long as my heart beats, it will only be the first decade. I, I commit that to you right now. We're not going anywhere. And unfortunately for those that don't like what we have to say, and I guess that what they really don't like is that we act on what we say, we're not going anywhere. We're going to be here. We're going to be rocking on for a lot longer. Thanks to all of you who have come this far along with me on this journey. And uh, as I end today, I'm going to play the entire song of The Revolution Is You. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month.
Nobody else.